I'm going to share something with us that I believe will be a great blessing to us. Um, for the past weeks, we've been dealing with Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I was going to start a new series, but I think I'll start that series after the feast. So the next couple of weeks, I'm going to take us on a certain journey. A journey of pursuing God. Because one of the things that I've realized is that we are so very much interested in pursuing so many things. Running after so many things. Chasing after so many things. And leaving behind the most important. And that is God. And I look at the discourse on our social media platforms and the discourse in our news and the discourse on our TV platforms and the radio platforms and I realize that the problem is that we have missed God. And because we have missed God, we've gotten everything wrong. The, the whole world is turned upside down. Because you see, when you violate the order of God, you begin to run after the wind. And never catch anything. God has an order in which he wants us to live as human beings. There's, there's an order that he set when he created us. And the order is that we have to submit to him. Then creation will submit to us. But once we don't submit to God, creation will begin to rebel against us. And that is the reason for all the chaos in the world. That is how come we are trans, whatever, every. every they're trans what trans what everything because you see human beings have left god and we are chasing after other things and you see because there is a hunger in us there's a design as for god but because we are not filling it with god we are looking for all forms of things to fill it and never never get satisfied have you, have you been hungry before and then you wanted a particular meal but you couldn't get that particular meal so you settled for another meal but when you finished eating the meal, even though your stomach felt full, you didn't feel full, you didn't feel satisfied because what you really wanted is not what you got. And that is exactly what is happening in the world today. People are chasing after things they think will satisfy them but they are missing out on the exact thing because for every human being, God created a hunger in us for him. When God breathed into man, into the nostrils of man, and man became a living soul, God placed in us a God part of, of himself in us. And there is no way you can be full without that God part. So anytime you go after anything that is not God, you realize there is a lack. Haven't you realized that sometimes you desire to do something and then like you put in all the effort and all the resources and get it after that, you ask yourself, is that all? Uh, how many of you have felt that, that before? Oh, you, 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 want to, you want to get, oh, I want to get this house. You get it, you beautify it. Then you ask yourself, ah, is that all? You want a particular qualification, a particular degree. You, you pursue it, you work hard towards it. You get it, you finish is that all? I, I want this job. You get the job. So much excited about the job. Is that all? And sometimes I read the news and I hear of celebrities who are depressed. Who are committing suicide. Who are, you know, divorcing. Because when their marriage was coming, it was a whole hype. Like, this is a guy I love. This is a guy I'm crazy about. This is a girl. Six months later. 
I don't want it again. Then you realize that, is that all? I mean, they have all, you have all the fame, you have all the money, you have everything. You ask yourself, is that all? I want us as a church to position ourselves in a way that we chase after the right thing. So this morning, I'm going to speak to you on what I've titled a God chaser. I pray that it's going to be a blessing to you. This, this is a message that, that resonates with my heart. So I pray that it is going to be a blessing to you. Hallelujah. Amen. We're going to look at the life of someone in the scriptures who pursued God. He chased, God, chased after God so much. And there is no doubt because the testimony God gave about him is that this is a man after my own heart. Now, if you understand that passage, this is a man after my own heart. You would know what it means to chase after God. What God was trying to say in one sense is that David was going right for the right thing inside the, the heart of God. This is a man after my own heart. You can interpret it the other way. That this is a man after my own heart. That this is a man I love. But no, the, the, the whole point is that David was after God. Like God, what is it at all that you have concerning me? That is what I want. What, what is it that you want for me? That is what I want. And I want us to turn our Bibles to Psalm 63 verse 1 to 8. I'll focus on verse 1 and 2, but I want to read the whole verse 1 to 8. And so David says, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. Then it says that my soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. Because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. Hallelujah. This is one of the passages I wish you would, you would memorize, you would read, you would consume every single day. And so, this is a very interesting passage because um, when you read various commentaries, you realize that this is a psalm that David wrote when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And um, even though different commentators try to look at which time of David's life he wrote this particular psalm, when you look at the whole psalm all the way to the verse 11, you will see that it was when David was a king. And the only time that David was a king and in the wilderness of Judah was when he was a king and his son Absalom chased him out of his throne, out of his kingdom. And then David had to go with his people into the wilderness. And so David got into the wilderness in a place where there was frustration in a place where there was depression, in a place where there was uncertainty. He didn't know what was going to come next because Absalom was so powerful. He had won the heart of the people of Israel. And beyond that, Absalom had David's counselor, the counselor called Ahithophel. And the Bible says when Ahithophel gives a counsel, it's like, it's like God speaking. And this man was with Absalom. So you can imagine all the things that were happening with David in a wilderness 
in a place of uncertainty, in a place where he didn't know what would happen next. But look at the psalm David wrote in that situation. Now, if you and I were in a wilderness, in a difficult moment where you were the king and your son had chased you out of your kingdom and you didn't even know where to go. On, on the journey, you had people insulting you and, and mocking you and you had to stay with people in, in the wilderness where, in fact, according to this psalm, it was a dry place. I'm sure some of us, this is our prayer. Oh God, why have you left me? Why has thou forsaken me? Some of us will pray and say that, God, I don't know. What, what have I done to you? You tell me. Why me? I think one day I should write a book titled, Why Me? Then I write the subtitle, Why Not You? So David was in a distressed um, situation, yet look at the prayer that he prayed. It was a prayer that reflects the heart of someone who is going after God, not for what he will get from God, but for who God is. Because today's Christianity, do you know what we do? We are chasing after God for what we will get from God. So if we don't get what we are desiring from God, then God is no longer God. Because we treat God like a genie. We wrap the lamp a little and say, what's your wish? Say the wish and then it shall be done. Command God. And God shall do it. All forms of theology and theories. So we have, we have bred a certain generation of believers who if God is stretching a little, we can't stand because we go after God for what we will get from God. Not because we love God. If you're in a relationship where the other person, all oh, that the person, the moment the person calls, you know that the person wants something. The moment the person calls, is because the person needs something. The moment the person calls, it's not because the person loves you or the person wants to be with you, but it's because how would you feel in that kind of relationship? Today, I want to ask you one question before I go into the prayer that David prayed. What percentage of your prayers to God is focused on what God can do for you? Rather than what you can do for God. Today, I want you to reflect. I want you to, I want you to just reflect. No, no, no. I want you to examine from the scale of 10%, because I'm making 10% because I assume all of us pray. From the scale of 10% to 100%, what percentage of your prayers directed to God has to do with God, give me this. God, do this for me. God, do that for me. God, I want this. As against God, I love you. God, what do you have for me next? God, what is your will for my life? God, I want to know you more. No, no, I want, to, I, want, I want you to do that examination. If we should do a survey across the church today, it would amaze you that we wouldn't even get 10% of believers whose prayers gravitate towards the will of God rather than their own will. This morning, I didn't come to excite you. I came to stir up something inside of you. So let's look at the verse 1 and 2. He says, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Wow. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. So I want us to take it line by line. The very first statement that David makes is, Oh God, you are my God. It's a very interesting statement because it reveals the kind of relationship David has with God. 
David is not saying that, oh God, Pastor Imes, God. Because today I've heard a lot of people praying and they pray and they say, I pray by the, the prayer, the, what? I don't even know how to say those things because theologically it doesn't mean by the grace of my father, uh, Pastor so, so so on the grace of my bishop. I don't even know where we got that theology from. Because the last time I read the scriptures, it's supposed to be you and God. When Jesus died, the temple veil was torn into two. So you don't go through any other person to God, but only through Jesus Christ. So David says, oh God, you are my God. He personalizes it. Because the God that he was serving was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He could have said, oh God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In fact, Nathan, the prophet, and God, the prophet, were David's personal prophets. They were the prophets to the people of Israel, but they were sent to David any time David needed an instruction. David could have said, oh God of Nathan, or oh God of God. But he says, no, oh God, you are my God. It is not the God of another person, it's my own God. The God that I know for myself. Because I can tell you where the world is going and where the church is going. If you don't know God for yourself, you can easily fall away. Yeah, you can easily fall away. Because many theories are coming. Many philosophies are coming. Many things that will shake your mind and shake your thoughts. Even for pastors. If you don't know God on your own level. On your own personal level. So David says, oh God, you are my God. And he says this because he had received a personal revelation of who God was. It wasn't, it wasn't knowing God on the revelation of, of his pastor. And today, one of our common statements, this is what my pastor says. This is what my bishop says. This is what my apostle says. No, no, it's not about what my pastor says, what my apostle says, what my bishop. Yes, we as pastors have a responsibility to feed you with knowledge and understanding. But you've got to know God for yourself. It has to be you and God. I know God. When, 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 when I say I know God, I know God because I have a personal walk with him. I can talk about God because I know him. He says, oh God, you are my God. You know, in the English you read you, and you see God, God. Is, isn't it the same God? God, God, God. But in the Hebrew, it's not the same word. The first word, oh God, the word God there is the Hebrew word Elohim. Elohim means God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It talks about the plural form of God and talks about the true living God, the supreme God. So now, David is making a statement in a very important context because of the era in which he was living. In the era in which he was living, the people worshipped different gods and, and they had God for rain, God for sun, God for whatever. Every, everything had a God. And, and so... They, they will call the God something and they will call the God something. But now David says, oh, no, I'm not referring to any of these gods. I am referring to the one who created the heavens and the earth. The one true living God. And he says that, oh Elohim, you are my El. Now the word El there is translated God. I mean in the tree, to help you to understand, in the tree, you know we say Nyame. Nyame doesn't necessarily refer to the supreme God. It, it can refer to any God. Now, in those days, when they use the word L, the word L means mighty one. Mighty one. So, um, different people in, in that time could use L for whatever God were. Now, David says that Elohim, that's the true living God, you are my L, you are my mighty one, you are my almighty one. In other words, you are my strength. 
in this particular situation that I find myself. So at that point in time, David knows that God can be so many things to him. God can be his provider. God can be his healer. God can be his banner. God can be, but in that situation in the wilderness where he needed God and he needed strength, he says, oh God, you are my strength. You are my might. Because at this moment, I know you are my might. Now, the thing about knowing God is that you know God in specific situations. So, when you go through a particular situation, you lean more on God. And out of that situation, you gain a revelation of who God is. Then you can call God my healer because you saw him heal you. You can call God my provider because you saw him provide for you. You can call God my banner because you saw him fight on your behalf. I want to ask you, who is God to you? Because God is so many things. In fact, it would take eternity to know God. But you've got to know God specifically in every given circumstance. So that when you face the next circumstance, you can say, oh God, you are my this. Oh God, you are my that. You have to learn to know God. People of God, if there is anything at all I want you to know in this church is to know God. Go, know God, know God, know God. If you know God, look, you... My, my, my work is done as a pastor. Oh, yeah. Because we, a lot of believers have a faulty perception about who God is. That's why we easily get frustrated with God. That's why we easily get tired with God. Because our perception about who God is has been twisted by the kind of theology that we are exposed to. You have to know God for yourself. And, and later I will show you. So David says that, oh God, you are my God. You are my strength. You are my might. I can't handle this situation on my own. My strength will fail me. But I know that when you are my might, I can go through this wilderness and I can come out stronger. That is David's position. But look at the next thing that David says. He says, early will I seek you. So now David establishes a fact that God is my God. I have a relationship with him. But he says that now this is how I build my relationship with God. He says, early will I seek you. That's the very first statement. Early will I seek you. In fact, the Hebrew word early means, means something that is done at dawn. And, and, and it's interesting, it's not just referring to the dawn. It's talking about the task you do at dawn, but you do with so much zeal and earnestness. Uh, can I bring a practical example to you? Have you, have you realized, those, uh, those of you on this stretch, I mean, nowadays, as early as 4.30, you can see people, you know, moving to work because they want to beat the traffic and they want to get to work early so that they are not queried, so they can be paid, or so they can avoid burning fuel. So, so something motivates people to move out early. And they do that with a lot of zeal and earnestness. Like one particular dawn, I was going to town and I saw market women at Medina around four something. Like they were getting ready to sell. And I was like, who said people are not hardworking in Ghana? Now, now, you could see these people at, at the task because they want to make ends meet, because they want to provide for their families, because they want to make a living. And so, that motivation of making a living moves people out early. But David says that this is what moves me early. 
it is not my making a living. It is my relationship with God that moves me early. That what causes me to wake up at dawn and to do so with so much zeal is the fact that I want to be with God. Oh. Is that what I want to be with God? That when I wake up at dawn, my greatest motivation for waking up that early is that I want to be in the presence of God. That I want to know God. That I want to love God. That I want to serve God. That I want to be in the presence of God. So he says, early will I seek you. Early will I search for you. You know one thing that is happening in the world today? That we deceive ourselves that if I don't wake up early, and go to work early. I can't make a living. I can't get things done. I can't achieve this. I can't do this. But when you look through our scripture, in the life of Isaac, in the life of David, in the life of Moses, in the life of Jesus Christ, in the life of people who made impact in scripture, there are people that woke up and spent considerable time with the presence of God. Because you see, when you spend more time with God, when you come into the midst of men, you spend less effort to accomplish what you are accomplished, what you are supposed to do. Yeah. But we've gotten it all twisted. I remember some time ago, I was, I was trying to convince myself when, when the Lord wanted me to write a certain book. So I wake up early, I just pray shortly, and then I'll start working on the book. Then the Holy Spirit started convicting me. I mean, the book that you're writing, who is even instructing you to write it? Now, in your mind, you think that, yeah, if I have to work it, I don't, if I don't do that, I can't get it done. Look, I have to do this. But can I tell you, people of God, that if you get it right in the presence of God, if you spend sufficient time in the presence of God, he'll give you the wisdom, he'll give you the might, he'll give you the speed, he'll give you the ideas, he'll give you the strength, and you can accomplish much more within a shorter time than what you do with your own effort. So David says, early will I seek you. Early will I seek you. I had one of the, the generals, God's generals, I've, I've forgotten the person. He said, I will spend three hours in the presence of God before I move out. And when I move out in the day, I can spend less time with men and get much more achieved. I want to throw a challenge to you that from today, the same way people have zeal, the zeal to pursue all forms of things and wake up at whatever time. Have a zeal to pursue God in the morning. Wake up at dawn. It might be difficult. Your alarm will blow. You'll be tired. you snooze the alarm. Snooze it again. But wake up. Wake up and spend time in the presence of God. Wake up and spend time with God. This has been my lifestyle. Right, you can ask my, my family, you can ask my children, can, uh, what, Aram, you can ask Vicky. Because the thing is that, you see, the more I spend time with God, the better I become as a man, the better I become as a husband, the better I become as a father, the better I become as a pastor, the better I become as a human being. Yeah, I'm telling you, you can't, you can't be better without the presence of God. No, 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 no. So David says, early will I seek you. In Psalm 5 verse 3, he says, my voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning, I will direct it to you and I will look up. Now, when, when David says he's seeking God early, it means that you place God first above all else. You place God first above all else. When you wake up in the morning, it's not your social media that should be your first. 
So this is my, this is my practice. When I'm going to sleep, I turn my data off. Unless once a while I dozed off and I forgot to turn it off. Even now, when I wake up in the night, I'll turn it off. Do you know why I do that? I do that because I don't want to wake up to any human being. I want to wake up to only God. I turn my data off when I'm going to sleep. Because there is no message you send to me in the night that is emergency. Or that is, I mean, that is life and death. No, no, no. If it is life and death, you will call. There's nothing that is on social media that will, that, that, that will make my day. That I have to wake up and read all the WhatsApp messages and read all the Facebook notifications and read whatever before I get. No, 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 no. I want to wake up and the first person that is on my mind is God. The Lord, if I don't spend time with you, I don't want to spend time with my phone. No, no, I don't want to spend time with anyone. When you seek God, and it means that you acknowledge God in, in, you acknowledge his place in all that you do throughout the day. When you see God, you are saying that God, I am going through, through the day. The day is, is, is challenging. It can be tough. I don't even know what the day holds for me. How many of you know what the day holds for you? How many of you know what today holds for you? You might have planned, but do you know what, what's going to happen next, the next one hour? No, no, do you know, baby? Do you know what's going to happen in the next five minutes? You don't even know. Even in the next one minute, you don't have an idea. Yeah, we don't. But when I spend time early with God, what I'm saying is that, Lord, I acknowledge your place in my life throughout the day. That I know that as I am going through this day, I can't handle the day by myself. I don't even know what's going to happen next. I have planned my day. How many of you have planned your day and realized that the plan, the plan was thrown upside down? You couldn't do anything about it. You didn't have any control over it. Yeah. You, you, I mean, you try. You can get frustrated all you want, but you can't do anything about it. But when you spend time in the presence of God, what you do is you allow God to go ahead of you into the day that he already knows. Remember the passage you read about three weeks ago? Before the day was I am. <laughs> so God already enters the day before you enter the day. So he knows what is in the day. Why not spend time with the one who knows what is in the day so he can direct your steps into the day that you don't have an idea of? No, doesn't it make sense? Isn't it logic? No, if baby knows what is going to happen, why won't I spend time and ask her how I can go around the things in the day because she knows what is going to come. So why not spend time with God and know what he has for you in the day? When you seek God early, it means that you totally depend on him to lead you through life. You totally depend on him to lead you through life. The next statement that David makes is, my soul thirsts for you. He says, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. David was literally in the wilderness where there was no water. It was a dry and thirsty land. And if, if you are in a, in a place where it's a dry and thirsty land, it's a place where physically there's no water, it's dry, what, what would you be looking for? Water. Right? If you are in a place where there is no food, what will you be looking for? Food. David is in the wilderness physically. There is no water. It's a dry and thirsty place. But David looks at the wilderness physically and he also looks at his life and he realizes that ah, the same thing that is happening physically is the same thing that is happening in my life. And so if my flesh will long for water, then why not look at it this way? That in this wilderness season of my life, my soul thirsts for God. 
My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there's no water. You know, the best thing you can have when you are going through the most difficult moments of life is the water of God, the living water. It's God himself. He can satisfy like no one. He can refresh like no one else. He, he, he can strengthen like no one else. Look, I'm telling you, I have been through some very difficult moments of my life and I realized that if God was not with me, if it wasn't for God, I don't know where I would have been. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There was a certain season in my life that I almost lost my mind. That's when I knew when they say someone, someone is losing their mind. Almost lost my mind. And then I remember I was walking and I began to cry to God. And I said, God, I can't handle this. I can't deal with this on my own. You are the only one that can help me. And I cried to God like I cried like a baby to God. And by the time I finished in the presence of God, it was like a reverse action. Everything that was happening in my mind. Do, 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 do. Have you watched the movie, they reverse, they reverse the scene of, reverse back. Like, like, it's like everything was just dealt with. And the same person that felt like I was losing my mind in one moment, in the next moment, I had soundness of mind. Because when you go after God, he's a living water that can quench every thirst. He's the one that can satisfy your soul. He's the one that can, can see you through life seasons. So David says that my soul thirsts for you. He says my flesh longs for you. We won't talk about thirst. It's a representation of the following in life. A worried life. You are tired of life. An unrefreshed life. You don't know where life is going. You are so, you are, you are so dry. You, you don't even know how things will go. Then an unsatisfied life. Nothing is bringing satisfaction to you in life. He says, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. And you know the part that I like is when he says, my flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty. Because we know the flesh doesn't long for anything proper. The flesh longs for anything that makes it happy. But, but David is in this wilderness and he says, my flesh longs for you. My I pray that you will get to a place where your flesh will long for God. Desire for God. Some of your flesh, are, your flesh is too active. When you wake up in the morning, your flesh is longing for watching. Before you even wake up in your sleep, your flesh is... <laughs> It's longing for Auntie Memuna, Memuna's watchy. And, and you have already started looking at what, what to go for lunch. And, and then you look at what is going for supper. And that's what we even do when we are fasting. I remember the very first time I fasted, six to six. I, I was in JHS, so I had finished JHS, something like that. And I put my breakfast down. Then I put my lunch down. Then I put my supper down. And that day my parents were going to church. And I was home with my siblings. I fasted six to six. I took the breakfast. I took the lunch. I took the supper. And I was on my dying bed. <laughs> the next night I realized I was on the floor. I was like, oh, who is coming to save me? <laughs> and, and we 
do that because our flesh is desiring. You are even fasting. Your flesh is longing for all forms of things because our flesh always wants to please itself. But but you've got to get to a place where your flesh is constantly desiring for God. You get to a place where the food that used to appeal to you, when they bring it to you, it doesn't it doesn't even appeal to you anymore because God is the one that your flesh is longing for. It satisfies your flesh. Oh yeah. No, no, you've got to get to that place. I'm telling you, you've, get to, you've got to get to that place where your flesh does not long for any television program again. No, it doesn't long for any movie. If you don't watch it, you don't, you, it, it doesn't worry. Some of you don't watch anything, then you're you are in trouble. Some of you, when your internet is disturbed a little, you're in trouble because, because you need internet. You have to be on social, you have to, something like you're dying. Hey, internet, hey, 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 what's happening? Hey. I said the day that what happened with us with COVID happens to internet in this world, that's when you will see the madness levels. The day one satellite crashes in space and internet is cut off. I remember when Facebook crashed for just six hours. Come and see. Come and see. Like the world is like turned upside down for you. It shows us where our flesh is. It shows us where our desires. Our desires after the wrong things. So the moment it's taken away, you feel like the world is empty. Ah, take everything and give me Jesus. That's all I want. No, no, take everything. Some of you today, you have to pray a prayer that God, detach my flesh from the things that are attached to it. Detach my flesh. Detach my flesh, oh, detach my flesh. Some of you are too fleshy. So David says, my flesh longs for you. But look at something he says in Psalm 42 verse 1. He says, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. As the deer pants for the water brooks. I know we sing that song. As the deer. You don't even understand that song. The water so my soul longed after thee. You alone are my desire and I love you. You alone are my strength. We just sing it. We sing it through the motion. How many of you have understood this passage? So when David says that my soul thirsts for you, look at what he says. He says, as the deer pants for the water brook, so does my soul long after you. Do you know, if you don't study the passage very well to understand why David made that simile, you will not understand what he was saying. No, when the deer is in the, in the wilderness... It is being pursued by a predator that wants to chew it and eat it. And the deer is very fast. But the same strength of the deer that makes it run fast can cause it to get tired easily. So when the deer is running, it is running away from the enemy, but it's also running towards a source. It's running towards a source of water because it knows that if I can get to the brook of water, I can be refreshed and renew my strength at that brook and be able to outpace that which is chasing after me. So David looks at the deer and says that there are things that are chasing after me in life. I might be running away from them, but if I run away from them without running to the source of my strength, I will be outrun and be overtaken. So I run towards my source and I get refreshed and the enemy cannot catch up with me. Some of you are spending too much time fighting against the enemy when you're supposed to run into the presence of God where you get the strength to outrun the enemy. 
enemy. So every time I bind you, every time I'm killing this, every time I'm doing this, and, and they are chasing after you, and they are getting on you, because you're not getting the strength. Instead of getting into the presence of God and saying that, God, I want to be right here. In this place, I need strength. In this place, I need you. And get refreshed so you can outrun the enemy. You are concerned about the enemy that is chasing after you. So when the deer is running, it's not just running from its enemy. It's running towards a source. Because that source will provide strength to be able to outpace the enemy. If you can chase after God eh, and get to God and have God, there is nothing in this life that is chasing you that can catch you. There's, there's nothing in this life that is chasing after you that can catch you. So David says that my flesh longs for you. This is what a God chaser does. This is what a God chaser does. Look at the next thing that he says. He says to see your power and glory. To see your power and glory. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Now, David was, the very first verse, he was talking about a personal relationship with God. Like, God, I want to be with you. God, I want to know you. He says, Ellie, will I seek you? I want to love you. I, I just want to be with you. But now, David is pointing us to something that was also a secret of his life. In the wilderness, there was no church, in quotes. There was no tabernacle. There was no building where they could call a place to go as the house of the Lord. Now, remember that we read in the passages and, and David says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. So, in this passage, David is saying that in this wilderness, Lord, I have seen your power and your glory when I used to be in your sanctuary. But in this wilderness, there is no sanctuary here. And, and I long again, sorry, I long again to be in your sanctuary so that I can see your power and your glory. So David is revealing something to us that he's not only a person who has a personal relationship with God, but he also has a personal, a corporate relationship with God. He loves God on a personal level, but he also wants to be in the congregation of the saints because any time we gather together in the name of God and we sincerely gather because of God, he shows his power and his glory. So he says to see your power and your glory. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. David is looking forward to experiencing the strength and the might of God. He's looking forward to experiencing the weight of God's presence, the majesty of God. And he says, like, Lord, I have been away and I'm in this wilderness. But God, I want to be back again in that place where I can know you and love you and serve you with all of my heart. Today, you know, we have believers where when they take their, their work schedule and they shift it to Sunday, they are happy. Oh, Pastor, it's not my fault. Right now, my shift is on Sundays. I can't do anything about it, Pastor, you know. My hands are tied. No, no, no. David is in the wilderness. He says, I, I long to be in the sanctuary. I have not been in the sanctuary for a long time. God, I want, you, I want to get back to Jerusalem. I want to get back to the place where I can be with your people so I can see your power and your glory. You see, that disposition of your heart will be revealed when your shift changes to the day that we worship together. 
Whether or not you are like, oh, okay, it's not my fault, oh, Pastor. I mean, I, I mean, I wanted to come, but like, I don't know. Or whether or not you are so agitated. Hey, how can I go to church? How can I find myself in the house of the Lord? How can I, how can I work around this shift? How can I? Because the other day I was talking to a nurse and she said that, oh, Pastor, they changed my schedule. And, and I, I'm, on, I'm on schedule on, Wednesday, on, on Sundays. And, and so some, some of the Sundays, I don't be able to come. Then that same nurse in another conversation was like, oh, Pastor, the other day I had to change, uh, I had to swap with another friend for my schedule so that I could go and do this. So I said that, so you could swap with someone to go and do something, but you could not swap with someone to come into the house of the Lord. It shows the disposition of your heart. Because you see, when you have a strong personal relationship with God, you, you can't tell me. So the people that I, we, we, we go to outreach to and they tell me that I, I worship God by myself, there's a problem with that worship God by yourself. Because if you have a strong personal relationship with God, it will reflect in a corporate relationship. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I know there are a lot of churches that are messing up. But you will long for a place where you can be together with the saints and honor God and see the power and the glory of God. I want to ask you, where is your heart? Where is your heart? Where is your heart? Why, why are you in church today? Is it because Pastor Yuma is going to call you and ask you, why didn't you come? No, no, I, I, I want to find out. No, I, I want to know where your heart is. Assuming Pastor Yuma wasn't going to call you. Or assuming I announced God will in next week Sunday, like last week Wednesday, when I announced that we are not going to have church service, and some people are like, praise God. <laughs> we thank God. What a holiday, Pastor Ima. God bless you so much. We appreciate you. We thank you. You are in the spirit, Pastor. See where our hearts are? <laughs> you see where our hearts are? When me, I was canceling the service and it was disturbing me. And I was trying to find every means to be able to make sure the service comes. You, you are like, oh, pastor, oh, <laughs> pastor, oh, this is not really, I mean, like, it's just, it's like, okay, so today I'm announcing God will next week Sunday, we don't have church. <laughs> oh, oh, no, 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 next week Sunday, next week Sunday, every one of us stay home, like, you know, just relax. It's a holiday. Pastor says, pastor says it's a holiday. You see? I should have announced it before I started this message. And I would have seen where our hearts are. No, we might be laughing about it, but that's the reality. I know sometimes we all get up, even including me as a pastor, sometimes you get up and you are really not in the mood to come. Yeah. Sometimes you get up and you are tired. Sometimes you get up and you are worried. You get up and there are things on your mind. You get up and they're, they're unaccomplished tasks. But the point is that you've got to have a certain heart disposition that says, regardless of the situation, I will come into the house of the Lord. Because when I come and together we gather, it says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. Anytime the people of God gather together because of him, he shows up. So I'm coming because of him. Yeah. Now I remember that, I, I think I said it about two weeks ago, when my, my foot got swollen and then I couldn't get the bolt and then it was getting to service time, I was like, how can I stay at home? Now, as, as a human being, not as a pastor, as a human being, my mind was like, after all, you are hurt. After all, I mean, you can call, any, I mean, I wasn't even, 
yeah, I think I was the one speaking that day. You can call someone to take over the service. I mean, you can do all of that arrangement and just rest. After all, you've been, you've been coming all the time. Why not? I mean, that was there. Doesn't it happen to you? Oh, yeah. I told myself, no, I will limp. I will limp to the house of the Lord. I will limp to the house of the Lord so that God will in the next time, Deborah cannot say that pastor was tired or pastor was not well. So he couldn't come to church. So me too, I'm not well. So I don't come to church. As the leader, as the one who is leading you, I said, look, I have to push myself through the pain so the next time I can encourage you that whatever you are going through, you can also come. You must come. So I limped. I was in pain. I limped. I got to the junction. I still no boat. I got into the trot truck. I sat in it. I got here. I limped. I came to church. I stood here. I spoke with the limping leg. I don't think a lot of people even noticed that I was limping and finished. And when we finished and the anointing had gone, I knew I was a human being. The pain was still there. I still limped. My car was not here. So I still limped back home. Because you see, if you don't train your heart to be in the right place. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately wicked and deceitful. This heart, it can deceive you like nobody's business. It is very deceitful. That's what the Bible says. It's deceitful above all things. It can deceive you. So you have to train the heart to be in the right place. You have to tell the heart what it must do. It must not tell you what you should do. You have to long to be in the house of the Lord. Some of us when we are writing exams, small pe- oh pastor, I'm writing exams. Oh pastor, I'm writing exams. As if we've never written exams before. I was writing exams in the university and they put the exams on Sunday. That was when the university started doing exams on Sunday and I was in the choir. I was the choir director. Do you know what I did? I had a Sunday morning paper at 11. We had two services on Sunday. Saturday, I came for rehearsals. I led the choir to prepare. I stayed in the church auditorium with my legs in bucket to prepare for my paper. Came for the morning service that Sunday, the first service, and went to write my paper. So I can't give myself any excuse. No, you can't give yourself any excuse. And I passed that paper. Because you see, we, 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 we pamper ourselves so much. Oh, pastor, this. Oh, pastor, that. Oh, pastor, that. Oh. I did my master's when our daughter was born fresh. And, and the master's was a full-time program. You go from morning to evening. And I was working and doing my master's. And Sundays, I'll still go to the headquarters, handle the youth, and go and summarize 200 pages. Every Sunday, did that for one year and passed my papers. Got A's in most of my papers. The thing, you can't give yourself any excuse. What sort of excuse are you giving to yourself? The least thing, no, Pastor, this. Oh, the least thing, no, this. David says that, Lord, I long for you and I want to see your power and your glory. You have to have a disposition where nothing will kick you out of church. Some people, after COVID, they've never been in church again. They're like, oh, COVID. COVID shows us that we don't need a building, we only need Jesus. So we are together. Yes, yes, we need Jesus. We are the church. Without the building, we are still the church. But then he says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. But what? Exhorting one another as you see the day approaching. Hebrews chapter um, 10 verse 25. As you see the day approaching. Don't give yourself any excuse. Oh. Ah, your head is aching. 
Come to the house of the Lord. Come and receive healing. I remember some time ago, baby came. She was, she was like, her head was splitting. I was saying, she came to church. That was the time that David was, uh, baby was revived. Previously, she said, oh, pastor, please hurry. It's okay. I'm not coming. And she came to church and then we prayed with her. And by the time we finished the church service, she was like, the headache was gone. Where else can you see the power and the glory of God except when we meet together? So stop giving yourself all those flimsy excuses. A gold chaser chases after God. Yeah. Have you seen gold chasers before? Gold chasers. When they are chasing after gold. They do anything some of the ladies, they call them gold diggers. When they, are, when, when they want the money, ah, anything they can do to get the money, they will do. Because you see, when your motivation is so strong, nothing stops you from the pursuit. You can write it down. When your motivation is so strong, nothing stops you from the pursuit. So when your motivation for God is so strong, nothing stops you from pursuing God. You chase him. You go after him. You run after him. My soul longs for you. And sometimes I tell the youth, I used to tell the youth at, at the headquarters that these things I'm talking about, I was not doing them because I was a pastor. I wasn't even a pastor. I wasn't, I wasn't paid by the church. I was doing them because I love God. Please turn to your neighbor and tell the person, how hot is your chase? Oh, ask another person. How hot is your chase? <laughs> so David says in Psalm 122 verse 1, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said to me. So now the final thing and then we close. How do we chase after God? In the verse 8 of this same Psalm 63, David reveals something to us. He says, my soul follows close behind you. Your right hand opposed me. So he tells us two things as a God chaser. The first one is that my soul follows close behind you. And the second one is your right hand upholds me. So when David says that my soul follows close behind you, he's saying that as a God chaser, you develop intimacy with God. You are right behind God. He's leading and you are following. You are right. My soul follows close close behind you. Uh, let me use an example. I think Ike, come. no Ike, you are tall. Deborah, come, you are my sister, come. Let me use you as an example. Come. She, she likes attention. That's my little sister. She always liked me to carry her. So now, when we talk about my soul follows close behind you, this is what David is saying. It's like this. You get it? It's like, I am right here. So, in other words, God, wherever you find yourself, I am just right behind you. He's not ahead of God, like some of us do. We go ahead of God. When we cry, then we say, God, where are you? God, where are you? And God says, I'm behind. David says that my soul follows close behind. Close. Now, the Hebrew word close is a very interesting word. It talks about glue. So, David is saying that I am so attached like this. Such that like me and God, I'm not killing you. <laughs> me and God, like we are like this. 
Like nothing can hold us. Nothing can separate us. In fact, that same word is the same word that was used in Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 where it says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. It's the same Hebrew word. He says that, so when David is saying that my soul follows close behind you, it means that I am dropping a lot of things in order to be able to hold on to you. Because for some of us, the reason why you can't get glued to God is because there are too many things that are in your life. I realize sometimes when you're applying glue to something, it doesn't get stuck because there's dust, there's death, there's all forms of things. David says that my soul follows close behind you means that I am leaving some things behind so I can attach myself to you. Wherever you go, that is where I am going. Wherever you lead, that is where I am going. Every step you take, that's where I want to be. Lord, I don't want to be ahead of you and I don't want to be far behind you. I want to be right behind you. My soul follows close after you. I want to ask you, where? What distance is between you and God? Some of you, the distance is not that you are behind you. You are far ahead of God. You've made your plans. you settled everything. Let me thank you. you. You've done everything and you have started taking the lead. Then do you know what we do? We take the lead and we start asking God, God, uh, no, we don't even ask God. We say, God, bless this journey. God, bless this. God, and, and you know the, the interesting thing about God? When you go ahead of God, God does not move. Because God is not there to bless your will. He is there to bless his will for your life. So you can go all you want. And then God is still standing there. That's why I mean some prayers. When you call me to tell me that pastor pray some prayers, I won't pray for you. Like a certain gentleman sent me, Pastor, please, I'm chasing for a visa. And then, what do you call it? The connection man has done this and that. So, Pastor, please pray so that everything. I was like, I was, I was looking at the guy. It's like, you, you think I don't know what to do with my prayers? That, that you are going ahead of God and going after the connection people. And then you expect that I will come and pray for God to do what? Why? Do you think God is a magician? Or, or you think because it's pastor, so when pastor prays, then God hears. Now lie. God does not listen to anything that is outside his will. Whether you are the bishop or archpope or the pastor, if it is outside his will, it's here. Like, uh, what are you saying? I've not heard anything. So my soul follows close behind, not ahead of you, and not behind for some of us, God is, God is taking the lead. By now, you should be doing something. But God has, le- because the thing about God is that he moves with his timetable. So you, God is saying that by now you should be here. You are still here and you are still praying and say, God, show me. God, God, tell me what to do. And God says, I've already shown you. I've, I've even moved ahead and I'm waiting for you. You are not close behind. And the reason why we are not close behind is that so many things are, are holding us and so many things have occupied us and our minds and our hearts are set on so many things. We are tied to so many things that we can't go after God. So when the Bible says, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, it means that if the man does not leave the father and the mother, there's no cleaving. You have to detach in order to be able to attach you, you have to be able to, what, detach in order to, what, be able to attach. So one of the first things that I did was move out of my father's house. Because I wanted to attach. I had to 
detached. So I moved out of my father's house. I didn't have anything, but I moved out. I moved out with only one mattress, but I still moved out because I had to move so that I can, I can start the process of responsibility. If you don't learn to leave some things behind, you can't have God at the level that you want. Some of you are going to have to suspend social media activity for a month. Because that's what you have to leave behind in order to be close to God. Some of you are going to have to take your TV and go and dash it to someone. Because, because you've tried, you tried hard. You have tried hard to stop, but you can't. Anytime you get home, you are behind the TV. You can watch all the way to 2 a.m. Oh, yeah. So you have to carry the TV. Go and give it to someone. Tell the person, oh, I felt like giving you a gift. It will pay you, but give it. And come home. And when you come home, come and meet no TV. Then you know you can't have any remote to switch anything. Then you say, God, what do I do now? Spend time and pray. You have to detach. You have to detach. Some of you have to exit some WhatsApp groups from today. Immediately you live here because they are dragging you behind. You can't get closer to God. The next post that they post is making your mind last after things and last after people. You have to exit. You, you don't drop. You can't follow after God. That's the thing. There's a principle with God. You have to leave something behind in order to get closer to God. You have to leave something behind to get closer to God. My soul follows close behind you. So David says, I built intimacy with God. I pray that God helps us. I pray that God helps us to attach. Have you seen two love beds so, so attached to each other? <laughs> you, can't, you can't separate them much. Some, some, some of the cases, like they are hopeless cases. <laughs> I know of one. Oh no, they are, it's a hopeless case. She's my own daughter. I don't usually call people daughters, but this one, I, because of the way I raised it, I know it's a hopeless case. It's called attachment. So that I want to give her a ride. She says, no, pastor, go. Late in the night. Because there is someone and she has to walk with that person. I mean, it doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense, but it's called attachment. When David says, my soul follows close behind, that's what it means. It means that, look, even, if, even though the ride will give me comfort and bring me to my house, I choose this over the ride. Even if it means I will stand by the bus stop for 30 minutes and not get a car. You know, some of you are going to have to drop some comforts and say that I am chasing after God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to leave the comfort of your home and go somewhere and be with God for three days and just be in a retreat and say that, yes, I could have eaten this and I could have eaten that and I could have, but for, but for the sake of what I want in God, I will drop the comforts. You have to drop it. To go after God. There's something about God. God wants to be chased. <laughs> I have three girls in my house. Three powerful women in my house. They all want to be chased. That is God. God wants to be chased. See, if you want to understand God, you have to look at, if you want to understand God, when it comes to loving God, you have to look at the feminine species. You understand God better. God wants to be chased. God wants attention. God wants to, Some of you think like God is like, God loves attention. He loves it. That's why I look through scripture. Everyone that gives God attention, you see that God sets his eyes, his eyes and his focus on them. 
David, Moses, Joshua, Isaac, Jacob, Abraham, Jesus. Look at every one of them. Everyone that sets their heart. Daniel. God sets his eyes on them. Because God is a lover man. You've got to drop the things behind. And follow after him. Then the final thing David says is that. He says my soul follows close behind. Then he says that. Your right hand upholds me. So it tells, it tells us the second thing. He says that whereas my soul is going close, there's something that helps me to chase after God. His right hand upholds me. Now in scripture, when it talks about the right hand, it talks about the place of God's counsel that is dispensed towards us. In other words, what will make me be able to chase after God is when I seek his counsel. How do I seek his counsel? I seek his counsel when I go into his word because the word of God reveals the mind of God. It reveals the will of God. It reveals the thoughts of God. It reveals the counsel of God. So David says, as I go after the law of God, as I go, as I go after the word of God, I get the counsel of God and that counsel upholds me and helps me to walk after God and to chase after God. Show me a man who loves God and I'll show you a man who loves the word. No, you can't love God without loving his word. Hey, it's an error. I don't know how that is possible. Because his word reveals to us his desires, his intentions, his will, what he wants. The more you go into the word, the more you discover God. You discover, ah, oh, God doesn't like this. Oh, God likes this. Oh, God. You see, look at the Old Testament. And, and there's been a lot of debate about the Old Testament and the New Testament. But look at the Old Testament and it reveals to you how God wants things to be done. Go into the New Testament and it shows you how God has made it easy for us to do what has to be done. So the Old Testament, everything that looks like a law, that looks like a very, very strict thing, it just reveals God to us. It shows us that God doesn't joke with things. It shows us that God wants consecration. It shows us that God wants separation. It shows us that God wants seriousness. Then in the New Testament, under grace, we, now, we are now empowered to do what God requires from us. So seek the word of God. Love it. Read it. Today, we have the word of God at our fingertips like nobody in history before on your phone. Some of you, when you get a new phone, the first app you... you, you you, you install his WhatsApp, Instagram, then you go to Facebook, you go to Twitter, you go to TikTok. Like those are the ones you start installing. Install a Bible first. I have three Bibles on my phone. I have a, my, all my commentaries that at first I used to read from them. I have them all now on my phone. So I don't even need to carry all my big books to prepare any message. I have them all. And I got them for just under 20 CDs. It shows where your heart is. So, how many versions of the Bible do you have on, on, your, on your phone? Do you have Bible uh, dictionaries that will help you to understand the scripture? What are you seeking from God? I pray that we will chase after God. We have to change the narrative. We have to pursue God. The people of the world are laughing too much at us because we are chasing after the same thing they are also chasing after. <laughs> Instead of chasing after God so that they can see the distinction between us and them, we are all going for the same thing. So they are like, ah, 
so why should I come and follow what you are following? Because we are all chasing after the same thing. In the office, they don't know the difference between the one who is taking bribe and the one who is not. I mean, both the believer and unbeliever are doing, both the believer and unbeliever are corrupt, both the believer and unbeliever are this, both the believer and unbeliever are that, both the believer and unbeliever are. What sort of light are we? But if we chase after God, the narrative will change because you will not compromise. Let me say this final thing. You see, when you chase after God, it influences every area of your life. You see, all the things that we learn, 101 laws about being a good father, 108 principles about being a good manager, seven principles of being a good wife, uh, what, 90 principles of being a good businessman, they are nice. But when you chase after God, the way David says, follow close behind and go after the word of God. You discover all those things are there. All those things are there. All those things are there. I pray that God helps us to chase after him. In Jesus' name.